In golf, uh, they call it a mulligan. How many of you golf? Let me just see. And, and then how many of you have ever taken a, a mulligan? Yeah. Okay, so here's the way it works. Like, let's say your first shot goes too far or too short or too left or too right. Now, you can't do this in a tournament, but if you're, if you're playing with friends, you might say, hey, can I just take a mulligan, right? And so what do you do is you, you pull another ball out of the bag and you just drop it in about the same spot and you, you, you get another shot. You get a, a do-over, if you will. Um, have you ever wanted to take a mulligan outside the golf course? Like let's say uh, you're going on an overnight packing uh, camping trip and, and, and you're hiking and you packed your backpack full of everything you could possibly need and then you're maybe 500 feet into the hike and you realize you're carrying a, a piano on your back and you think, oh my goodness, I wish I could take a mulligan, right? I wish I could, I wish I could have a do-over. You ever wanted to take a, a relational mulligan before? Uh, maybe, you know, you, you said something to your kids or you said something to your spouse and you want to come back to them and say, hey, can I just have a do-over on that conversation? I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life when I've wanted a mulligan, when I've wanted a do-over. And that includes my pastoral leadership here. Uh, there have been times when, when I wanted a, a second chance. Uh, you know, almost two years ago now, as we were entering those first uncertain days of the pandemic, one of the thoughts that consumed me as a pastor is that I had not adequately prepared you and I had not adequately prepared me for the challenges that we would face. Now, I'm not saying that I could have foreseen the coronavirus, but, but still there had been ancient truths about discipleship in my Bible the whole time. And one of the agonizing questions I asked myself is, is you know, have, have I prepared us as a people for the challenges that, that we would face? And so think of this three-week sermon series we start today as my mulligan, my do-over. What I wished I had preached on two years ago, if you will. In fact, members of our church council will probably remember me a year ago or so sharing this passage with them, this three-verse prayer from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I found in each verse of this prayer three ingredients that are lacking from so many contemporary expressions of the Christian faith. You know, we live in an era where people are are falling away uh, from their commitment to God They're falling away from what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus. We live in an era where our character is not up for the demands of living in a democracy, much less living in God's kingdom. And so what I want to do is I want to do something that's kind of unusual for me, and that is I want to preach three weeks on a three-verse passage. That works out to one verse a week. We're going to scrutinize each of these verses and, uh, and we're going to look at this prayer that Paul prays uh, during a chaotic season of his life. And as we go slowly each week, uh, one verse a week, I want us to see how Paul embodied these prayers. And I want us to ask God to help us learn this prayer, maybe meditate on this prayer, maybe even memorize this prayer. And, and today we'll focus on the first topic uh, that the, the, I wish I had prepared us for better, and that is the topic of prayer. Now, of course, all three of these verses comprise a prayer. But I think in this first verse that we'll see, Paul hones in on the crucial 
importance of prayer. And so, as I mentioned to you, one of our goals is for us to really spend some time meditating on these verses. In fact, uh, we've actually produced this little, um, this little handout here, and it's called Mulligan Memory Verse. And if you're with us online, uh, you can go to vrbc.net slash mulligan memory, two L's, one G in Mulligan, and, uh, and you can find a digital copy of it. Uh, but it's got not only the, the words of the prayer in the New International Version, but also uh, some little uh, graphics uh, if you're a visual learner uh, that maybe can help you on the goal of, of memorizing this. And so we'll read the whole passage each week. And so hear the word of the Lord. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. God bless the reading of his word. What a beautiful prayer. Today, we're gonna focus on verse 11. We're gonna try to ask, why is it that Paul leaned so heavily into prayer? And what can happen when we lean into prayer? But of course, when you look at one verse, you always need to know the context around it, right? And so I wanna give you a little bit of context around uh, this prayer in verse 11 specifically. I wanna talk about a church plant in a city called Thessalonica, or today, Thessaloniki. If you're new to the Bible, uh, you may wonder why we talk about this guy Paul all the time. We talk about Jesus, obviously, but we, we also, in the New Testament, we talk about the Apostle Paul. Well, well, Paul was a missionary. In fact, if Paul had a business card, what it would say on the front would not be missionary, it would be apostle. That English word apostle comes from the Greek apostello, and the Greek word apostello means to send out. So think of it this way, Paul was a sent out person. You, you might say that Paul was the Holy Spirit's Frisbee, and the Spirit would send Paul out, and he would land in Asia Minor, in that part of region of Asia just north of the Middle East, or, or he would land uh, in Europe, he would land in, uh, in Colossae, or Philippi, or Thessalonica, or Rome. And wherever Paul went as a, as a missionary, as an apostle, he would just start preaching, and his hope, his goal was winning people to faith in Christ and planting churches. Now you need to know this was never a, a smooth operation. Uh, it's not like the whole community just organized a, a ticker tape for Paul. In fact, more often than not, when Paul preached, uh, there would be special interest groups in that community. Uh, and, and it was almost like Paul took a broom and just kind of swiped at a hornet's nest with his preaching. And, and he would experience the wrath of the hornets, if you will. And, and in a sense, that's not a bad description of what happens in Thessalonica. In Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul and Silas leave prison in Philippi, 
And they get on this great freeway of the Roman Empire, it was called the Via Ignatia, and they travel their way through Macedonia and they come to the capital city of Thessalonica. And Paul, as was his custom, finds a Jewish synagogue and he starts teaching, he starts preaching. For three consecutive Sabbaths, for three weeks, Paul turns people to the Old Testament, which was just the Testament back then, and he says, I wanna show you how Jesus of Nazareth was prophesied in your scriptures. And as often happened, there would be some people who would respond enthusiastically and they would say, what must we do to be saved? And they would give their hearts and lives to Jesus. And then there were other people, as I just mentioned, who would get angry. And in Thessalonica, a mob formed and and they wanted to kill Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas had to be snuck out of Thessalonica. And Paul eventually ended up in Athens, physically speaking. But in many ways, he left his heart in in Thessalonica. He left his heart with that church there. And so, uh, you know, in the opening uh, verses of this letter, Paul begins to say, I miss you guys. And I'm so proud of you. I'm, I'm proud of your faith and your hope and your love. You're, you're setting an example for other churches in Macedonia. Way to go. And Paul says, I, I'm, I'm upset that I can't be with you. In fact, I'm so upset I can't be with you that I'm sending one of my closest colleagues, a man named Timothy, a man of proven character, and he is gonna make this 300-mile journey to to be with you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you're Timothy and Paul says, hey, look, I really wanna catch up with this church uh, in Thessalonica, and uh, would you mind walking from here to San Antonio and, uh, and, then, and then walking back and, and telling me how things are going there? Uh, man, Timothy, boy. So, so Paul sends Timothy to, to, to the Thessalonians. He sends them to, to, to stabilize them in their faith, to, to comfort them because they're being persecuted, and also to bring word back of how they're doing. That's the context, okay? That's the context, generally speaking, of this prayer that I read to you a moment ago. Paul, hundreds of miles away from a church that he's grown so fond of, and Paul telling them how he's praying for them. Now, I mentioned, give me a mulligan. Give me a mulligan on the pandemic. And one of the things that would be at the top of my list of do-overs would be focusing more on prayer. Leaning more into prayer. Why prayer? Why lean into prayer? I mean, I bet if you, if you surveyed a bunch of people and said, if you could go back to, say, January of 2020, right? knowing what you know now, what would you do? And I mean, people would, you know, if you could time travel back, right? You'd, uh, people would probably load up on toilet paper, uh, they'd, uh, hand sanitizer, uh, you'd buy every surgical mask you could find. You'd buy stock in Zoom and certain pharmaceutical companies, wouldn't you? And yet I'm telling you, if I had a do-over, in addition to all those things, I, I would want to focus more on prayer. Why prayer? Why lean into prayer? Why does prayer vault to the top of the list? Well, I want to give you three reasons. And I think the first reason is this. Prayer is an act of love. Praying for one another is a powerful way that we love one another. As we'll talk about next week, what the world needs now is love. And prayer is a marvelous, indeed 
miraculous vehicle for sharing love with others. This prayer-fueled love, I think, is clearly on display in 1 Thessalonians. In fact, if you have some time this week, just, just read through the first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians. And, and, and as you do, ask yourself this question, how does Paul feel about these people? I, I think what you'll find at the very beginning of the letter, two verses in, is that Paul can't help but thank God for them. You'll hear Paul say that he, he feels like both mother and father with them. He's a, he's a nursing mother that feeds them the gospel and his life. He's a hardworking father who, who is, is working overtime to care for them and to challenge them and to exhort them. Paul says in, in, in chapter 2, verse 17, that to be separated from them is to feel like an orphan. That's how much he cares for them. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I, I couldn't stand not knowing how you were doing, and that's why I'm sending Timothy. Do you hear the emotion? Do you hear the love? What, what do you do when you love somebody and you want to help them? What, think about that. What's your first instinct when you want to help somebody, maybe who is hurting? A lot of us would say, well, pick up the phone and call them. Or, 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 or maybe in Paul's day, you would write a, a letter if you're a lifelong Baptist like me, uh, maybe your first instinct is to go to their front door with a casserole uh, in your hands. Uh, and that's always a, a good idea. May I suggest chicken spaghetti uh, or King Ranch chicken, two excellent choices. But not pea salad. Lay off that pea salad if you don't mind. Uh, uh, maybe you like pea salad. Okay. But, uh, but these are all good things. Phone call, email, letter, text, gifts of food, hospitality. All these are important, tangible ways we show love and show concern for each other. But Paul is turning to an important new strategy, and that is prayer. Paul leans into prayer as a way to show his love. You know, have you noticed that some people these days view prayer as something very wispy, very insubstantial, well-meaning words, but uh, kind of at the bottom of your wish list, in other words. In fact, it's not uncommon for people on social media to say or to ask for or to send prayers, vibes, and, and, and good thoughts, you know, uh, toward a person in need. And when you put prayer in that list with good vibes and good thoughts, prayer feels very insubstantial, doesn't it? And yet Paul felt exactly the opposite about prayer. Paul believed prayer was a powerful act of love. I mean, listen to what Paul says in the verse that leads up to our prayer. Paul says, night and day, we pray earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now that's a commitment to prayer. Have you ever been like, walking into church and you saw that person that a few weeks ago you promised to pray for and uh, you'd forgotten all about it, right? And you see them and you go, Lord, pray for, you know, help them. And then you go, hey, I've been praying for you. You know, have you ever done that before? Am I the only one that's ever done that before? You know, I mean, sometimes prayer is almost a, an afterthought, but not here. L look at the love that Paul pours into this prayer. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may be reunited, that we may fill the gaps, the New Living Translation says, of what is absent in your faith.
faith. Paul is begging God for a chance to see the Thessalonians again. We pray, we lean into prayer because it is an act of love for people around us. You know, in Galatians 5, Paul says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And when we pray for each other, we are bearing burdens. We're getting a shoulder underneath that sleeper sofa of a burden that a brother and sister in Christ is feeling. There's, a, there's shared passion. We, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. And we pray for those who are struggling. We channel our love and passion into prayer. When I was sharing the beginning of these thoughts that kind of turned into a sermon series with our church council last year, I shared with them the uh, story of an amazing Scottish pastor named Robert Murray McShane. Robert Murray McShane is uh, maybe is closer to how he might have said it. And he lived in the early 1800s and he never made it to his 30th birthday. And yet he was such an influential Christian and his influence continues to this day. And I read a story about a young pastor who was ministering after McShane had died and he had heard all these stories about McShane and his influence and this young pastor was, was troubled by the lack of spiritual power in his ministry and so he actually traveled to Dundee, Scotland to, to visit the church building where McShane had pastored. Uh, he just kind of wanted to be in that space. And while he was there, he found this old janitor who was actually a young man during McShane's pastoral tenure. And he asked the old man, can you give me the secret? What was the secret of Robert Murray McShane? And the janitor was like, well, I'll do my best, you know. And, and he says, come with me. And he takes a young pastor into McShane's old office, his old study, if you will. And he, and he, and he, he said, I want you to sit down right there in McShane's old chair. And so the, the young pastor sat down in the chair. And then he said, I want you to put your elbows on the desk. That's the way McShane used to do it. And the young pastor did. And then he said, I want you to hold your head in your hands. McShane used to hold his head in his hands. The pastor did so. And then he said, and now I want you to weep and pray for God's people. That was the power. That was the love flowing through broken-hearted prayers for his people. The Bible says that God finds our broken-hearted prayers irresistible. Psalm 51 says, God says, a broken and contrite heart I will not despise. God turns toward our broken-hearted prayers. We lean into prayer because prayer is an act of love for one another. But we also lean into prayer, secondly, because prayer is an act of confidence. Prayer, in other words, places confident trust in the power of God over the power of self. The self-reliant person, the self-made man or woman, so to speak, has a hard time praying. Why? because they don't really believe in God's power, they believe in the power of self. They believe in self-sufficiency. But the person who prays, they may doubt their own ability, but they confidently trust God's ability. 
All we need to do is just to look at verse 11 and look at the subjects of this sentence. I'm gonna pretend like I'm your English teacher here. And as we look at this sentence and we identify the subjects, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. A twin subject with a single verb. God and Jesus working together to answer our prayers. You could say that Paul, as, as, a, as, as a missionary, lived much of his life out of control. He, he never knew what he would face as he went from town to town. There was always somebody trying to stone him, trying to kill him, at least trying to run him out of town or imprison him. And, I, and I'm sure if I were in Paul's sandals, I would feel so insecure and so uncertain. And yet Paul leans confidently into prayer. This is something I wish kind of before the pandemic, right? That, that we had focused more on finding our confidence in God and, and leaning into prayer in him. You know, you might say that back in 2019, oftentimes we would put ourselves as the subject of our sentences. We, we, we could put our, our confidence in ourselves a little more because we felt like life was a little more in control. But when you don't know if you're going to be able to keep a job or pay your bills or stay healthy or have your children come visit you at an assisted living center or visit your parents or grandparents, suddenly life feels so powerless, doesn't it? Life feels out of control. And yet Paul placed his trust not in himself but in God. Paul trusted the one who holds the universe in his hands. You know, scholars say that one of the noteworthy things about this letter of 1 Thessalonians, five chapters to it, is that every chapter, in every chapter, there is a reference to Jesus who owns our future. And every chapter, in large or small ways, there's a reference to Christ who is coming again. When we pray, we pray to the one who is gonna come rescue us. And that gives us confidence. You know, I can't count the number of times as a pastor that I have uh, driven out to perform a graveside service. Usually the funeral director kinda motions my car in right beside the hearse and we put our blinkers on and we drive slowly out to the cemetery and when we get there, uh, I kind of straighten my tie and I grab my Bible and I stand at attention by the, the back of the hearse and I lead the pallbearers usually up a hill and we stand underneath that awning and the wind, sometimes a cold wind, sometimes a hot wind, makes the, the flaps of the tent uh, just kind of go crazy. And there have been so many times, so many times when I've taken my place near that casket, under that green awning, and I've opened my Bible to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 14. And I've read to those who mourn, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And I finish reading the passage and then I pray. 
And I am so glad for the confidence that that scripture fuels my prayer. I mean, how terrible would it be if I were a, a facilitator of a graveside service and I didn't have God and I didn't have his word and I didn't have the risen Christ and I didn't have these promises. Can you imagine just standing out there by this big hole in the ground and saying, well, I guess that's it. I guess that's it. Fun while it lasted. Friends, Prayer tends to differ. Prayer puts its trust in the God who owns the future. Prayer teaches us to grieve differently, to live differently, and to trust that when we come to the end of ourselves, we weren't ever intended to be the subject of the sentence anyway. We place our confidence in the dynamic duo of God our Father and our Lord Jesus working together, our Savior who comes again. I wonder, who needs to lean into that confidence right now? Prayer is an act of love. That's why we lean into it. Prayer is an act of confidence. Confidence in the God who gives gifts that, that, that uh, casseroles won't help. But ultimately, prayer is an act of power. Paul believed that there is invisible reality everywhere. Paul believed in invisible spiritual reality. Paul believed in the presence of evil, invisible evil, and Paul believed in the, in the presence of God's invisible spirit. Paul knew on the downside that, that evil was always on the loose. In fact, Paul says something really startling in chapter two of this letter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul says, we wanted to come to you. We wanted to come back to Thessalonica long before now. Uh, certainly, he says, I, Paul, did again and again. I wanted to come to you, but Satan blocked our way. Isn't that a startling sentence? Paul believed that Satan was not just sitting on the sidelines with his hands tied behind his back. He believed that the prince of darkness was constantly at war with the church. And that's why in Ephesians 6, Paul spent time talking about uh, our real struggle in life. Our real struggle in life is not other people. A lot of Christians believe that, that, that our struggle is with this person or that person or, or this politician or that party. And if we could just have regime change, all our problems will go away. Paul says our struggle is not with flesh and blood. Our struggle is with evil. Our struggle is with Satan our struggle is with this present darkness. Paul believed in invisible evil. So how does Paul respond? He calls upon the invisible power of God to do things that he can't. If we put verse 11 back up on the screen. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus, that's the subject. Now let's look at the verb, right? Clear the way. Clear the way for us to come to you. We put a little bulldozer here, do you see that? Uh, that's what God does. God clears out obstacles. That, that's, what, that's what he does, he, he clears the way, or maybe your translation says, guide our paths, or, or maybe your translation says, make our paths straight, or, or maybe your translation says, smooth our paths to come to you. It makes me think of that beautiful promise in Proverbs 3. 
that when we trust in the Lord with all our hearts, instead of leaning into our own understanding, when we, when we place our confident trust in God, that God will make our paths straight. In other words, Satan is like this sabotage expert. I believe our French friends call it a saboteur, right? Satan is a saboteur, and, and he hides by the side of the road, and he throws up so many obstacles to our spiritual fulfillment. But Paul says prayer is a power tactic. Paul prayed to God to do what only God could do. And God has the largest crane, or fleet of cranes and bulldozers in the world. And guess what? Five years later, Paul's prayer was answered. Paul was able to visit Macedonia again toward the end of his third missionary journey. And so when you pray this prayer, think about your own obstacles, right? Think about the, the, the things that you struggle with and call upon a God who has the power to clear the way. William Barclay has said, when our Christian life feels so difficult, uh, it, it, it's often because it feels difficult because we're trying to live it on our own. He says, the person that goes out in the morning without prayer is in effect saying, I can quite well tackle today myself. That really convicted me. Walking out the front door without prayer is saying, I've got this. I mean, can you imagine walking out the front door tomorrow morning and just kind of waving off God and saying, keep your distance, don't need any help, don't, don't, you know, don't, I don't need you to get in this situation. I've got this, God. I've got everything under control. I've got the whole world in my hands. Can you imagine? Barclay quotes a writer who wants to find an atheist as a man with no invisible means of support. I don't know about you, but in 2022, I want to lean on invisible means of support. I want to lean into prayer. William Griffith Thomas said that Paul's philosophy of prayer is this, nothing is so small that we do not honor God by asking his guidance for it or insult God by taking it out of his hands. I want to honor God by putting everything, small, medium, and large, in his hands by not insulting God, by taking it out of God's hands. Recently, I was energized by this quote from a pastor in Washington, D.C. His church, like every church, had been hit hard by the pandemic. And, and, and a lot of people in his church would say, when are we gonna get back to, when are we gonna get back to normal? Right? And, and he would say, you know, we're not trying to get back to normal. We're trying to get back to supernatural. We're trying to get back to 1 Thessalonians 3. We want to see a move of God in our generation. I wish I'd said that two years ago. But there's no time like the present to pray that God would clear out the obstacles that separate us from loving one another and loving our community and fulfilling the supernatural mission that he has for us in our day. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, to read this verse, verse 11, for me is, is to simultaneously confess the many, many 
days of my life that have been relatively prayerless. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on mistaken self-sufficiency. Lord, have mercy on a misplaced confidence in me and a lack of confidence in you. Lord, have mercy on a heart that has failed to love others through praying for them. And now, Lord, would you call me, would you call us, would you call your people to a renewed fervor, a renewed night and day earnest dependency on this powerful gift of prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.